The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. As they were coming down from the mountain, the disciples asked Jesus, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He said in reply, Elijah will indeed come and restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also will the Son of Man suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. The Gospel of the Lord. Oh, okay, right? Yeah, he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. That clears that clears everything up, you know. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. What does what does any of this mean? Uh, this is um, it, it's an interesting passage. Uh, it's it's uh, you know I think exactly the right one for uh, for this phase of of our Advent season. But um, but it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tricky uh, passage to to get into and and to get something out of. So yeah, we just had the in, in the Gospel of Matthew just had the Transfiguration. Like, there's not a help. There's not a helpful thing. I'm just giving it a bit of context, right? You've had the Transfiguration. They're coming down the mountain. Uh, Jesus says, of course, before that, he said that he's he's going to suffer and die. Here at the end, we see that he's he's going to suffer as well. This is the the stuff the stuff that is really disorienting for his disciples. Like, okay, they they don't grasp it at all. Um, and and in that space, we're going to see this this brief exchange. Between them, right? They're asking, "Why do this? Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Okay, the 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 confusion there is that in the in the timeline uh, drawn up or say commonly accepted at at that time, you have Elijah and then you have the Messiah, yeah, and they're with Jesus in in growing recognition of the fact that he is the King, right? he is the Messiah. So now the question is, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? I mean, you're, you are here, right? So there's a bit of a roadblock. It's like, yeah, we're, we're into this. Yeah, like, we, we're okay with the fact that you're the Messiah, right? They're starting to, to come to terms not only with the fact that he's the Messiah, but what that Messiahship is, is going to look like, what his kingship is going to look like. But they're, they're confused by the fact that this thing is happening ahead of the other thing that was supposed to be happening. So what, what happened there? Are, are, are they wrong? Are they right? It, it's something for them that uh, demands an explanation. <coughs> and he and he says, Elijah will indeed come, and and in fact, here, um, where are we? Yeah, uh, and the, the, he in fact he has come. Right, Elijah has already come, and they did to him whatever they pleased. So the idea was, uh, and we get we get some sense of it in the book of uh, Sirach here. Uh, probably the probably better um, the um, uh, Malachi, and uh, and then even uh, Ecclesiastes. We 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 hear about the figure of um, Elijah and and what it is he's meant to do in anticipation of uh, the Messiah coming. And if you think on even even Elijah as it relates to uh, his his escapades prior to his retreat to Mount Carmel, right where he's slaughtering all the prophets of Baal, right? He puts them to the test, and then he slaughters them, and he's purging the land of of idolatry, right? He's purging the land of all foreign influence, so that the people can live totally for the true and living God. That that figure, that purification, 
they expect to, to have to happen prior to the coming of the king. Yeah, so who's going who's gonna to clear the ground, as it were? And in fact, in John the Baptist, what you see is you know, a, a man dedicated to the truth. He's, he's fiery in his own way. We, we never have any sense in, in the scriptures that he killed anybody. Yeah, and we, and we get, it's, it's not, yeah, no, no it, it's, it's remarkable in the sense that the Elijah figure kills a lot of people, right? I mean, go read the passage, maybe not this early in the morning, but read the passage, he, he killing 500 people, you know, he's, and it's actually more graphic than that. So, uh, the, I, John, there's no sense of that with John the Baptist, that his, that his movement was a violent movement, yeah, but he is there denouncing wickedness, Right? He's speaking truth to power, but then he's suffering at the hands of the powerful. Right? So he's, like taking on, he's taking on the burden of the evil that he is denouncing. That's very different from Elijah. But he is the Elijah figure. Which, and and if, if they've missed that, they're going to miss the Messiah as well. Because the Messiah is operating in a different way than, than they expected. And I think some of these things, some of the question here is about just timeline, right? It's like, okay, well, we know that A comes before B, but here B is in front of us, so what about A? I, I think that we could take that scheme and, and bring it up to the present and say, okay, well, what is our, what's our, what does our timeline look like now? Because we could say, we, when you start focusing, as we have been focusing the, this first part of the, of the Advent season, on the coming of the kingdom of God, right? Jesus' return to the world, to, to rule over all things and over, all, over every human heart. No matter what, right, we might, we might know some hearts now who, you know, really quite tragically uh, are not terribly interested in, in the rule of Christ, Be, being governed, ruled by him, right, being, being subject of, of his rule, right? We, I'm sure we know people who fall into that category. Well, that category of people, when Jesus returns, no longer exists. What happens with that category of people? You know, we, we can take a guess, right? I mean, there's, there's always the possibility of conversion. There's the coming, but, but, every, but there's, no, there's no guessing about people, say, living outside of the rule of Christ Jesus in his, in his return, yeah, so we, we, we could focus on that and say that is the, that is the future state of affairs to, towards which we are journeying, right? For which we long. When we, when we pray that ancient prayer, Maranatha, we're saying, come Lord Jesus. That's the, that is the prayer of the Advent season, come Lord Jesus. And so we could, we could push that off and say, yeah, well, you know, that, that is, you know, phase B, right? Okay, so then what, what is phase A? And, and I think actually we'd probably be getting that, uh, uh, we're going to be getting it a bit wrong because what God, what God wants to have happen is between now, really between the time of uh, the, the Paschal mystery of Jesus, so his death and resurrection, his ascension, and then his sending of the Spirit, from that time until his return, he wants his people to be living under and advancing his rule. So there's an anticipation of the thing. It's not as though we're saying, okay, look, the kingdom of God is out there somewhere, right? The like, Jesus' rule, his, his definitive rule is, post is postponed in a way, right? And we just have to be patient until it happens. No, we're called into a, a collaborative or participative eschatology, which means that that 
that end state of affairs that we know is going to be, we anticipate it now by participating in the rule of Christ, by collaborating with him to bring that final state of affairs into being. And my, my friends, if, if all we can do is have that reality take effect in us, great. But if we skip that part, not great. You know, if we skip, we're living in the wrong, we're living in the wrong calendar at that point. If we're saying, yeah, you know, I believe this stuff and Jesus is going to return. I'm just going <laughs> to, let, let's wait for it to happen. You know, I'm going to be patient. A little bit of you know, delayed gratification or whatever, right? It's, no, it's not, it's not the point. It, the point is to live into the plan of God here and now, which means that we have great things to accomplish. And those great things are anything that is inspired by the love of God, right? Anything that he animates in us is the great thing, right? So anything that in us is the, is the fruit of the Spirit's prompting, that we do with obedience, that is, that is part of the participation in bringing about that end state of affairs that we, that we yearn for. Right? So, and, and really, that's the, that's the only thing, those are the only things we can do that are great. It's the participating in the thing that God wants to bring about. And because that end state of affairs, and by the way, we pray for it all the time, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? What, what is heaven? Heaven is God's space, right? The power, the animating and organizing principle of heaven is God's own life of love, right? Everything, everything there operates and is, and is animated by God's love, right? the, the order of the thing is love. That's the order of the thing. So by anticipating that, the way to anticipate that state of affairs now is to live by the love of God. It means that we're won over by the love of God, but then everything we do is animated and organized by the love of God at work in us and working through us. That's how we're, that's how we're going to achieve that end state of affairs. So it doesn't, whether it's small things and this is, of course, all our perception, rather than you know God's eternal view. That if it's small things or big things, it doesn't matter. It's it's simply what we're called into, right? The, how how God has called us to be animated and sustained by His love today, and the more we live that way personally, the more we will have an opportunity to live that way socially and communally, and then globally. Right? So let's let's not. Um, uh, let's not disparage even now, even now, 2,000 years on, the, you know, the small beginnings of the kingdom of God. The small, right, the small beginning, the, the kingdom of God that begins here in my heart as I dedicate myself to God. You know, I don't even have the strength to do it myself. This is the, this is the wild thing, isn't it? It's like, I don't even have the strength to dedicate myself to God. I have to be caught up in Jesus' dedication to the Father. So he's doing it all so that we can do it with him. So we're dedicating ourselves to God. And in, in that action of offering ourselves to God, in the offering of Christ Jesus, we're then made ready to be the kingdom animators that we're made to be. We're made in this exchange by being caught up in God's own life of love. 
We're, we are made to, to bring his love to life wherever we are. We are made uh, to, to be animated uh, by his love and to, and to live out of his love in, in everything we do, right? But again, but, but personally, uh, socially, communally, and globally, right? We're, this, is, this is what, this is how the kingdom of God comes about. So then that's, this is where we are in the, in the timeline, yeah? The only event not yet to happen is the return of Jesus. We've had the rest. You've had the resurrection of Jesus. You know, you've had, you've had a guy walk out of the tomb, right? No, nobody, okay. This is amazing stuff, people. What are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah, this is, a, okay, uh, guy walked out of the tomb, whatever, not a big deal. Okay, so, yeah, it is, a, it is a big deal. And we live now out of the power that raised Jesus from the dead, right? The power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you and working through you in anticipation of that state of affairs so as to bring that state of affairs uh, into effect.